that Eunice Grayson smells of sex while <laughs> you smell of soap is basically <laughs> what she was she was wow. told. Welcome to Gold, Diamonds, and Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I am a writer for all things under the CinemaSense brand name and a co-host of the Behind the Sense podcast. I am joined by my fellow agent, get this, from Her Majesty's Secret Sinverse. Fuck yeah, mm. Aaron Dicer mm. rubbed off on me. Mm. Uh, mm. He is see. a longtime we'll friend of mine. <laughs> see that how that goes. Yeah. I know, we'll yeah. see how that goes. He's a longtime uh-huh. friend of mine, also one of my bosses. He was kind enough to join me uh-huh. on this journey. Uh-huh, uh-huh, the co-founder yeah. of CinemaSense, co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia, Mr. Chris Atkinson. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Um, yeah. Daunting task here going through uh, 20-something odd uh, Bond films. But uh, hey, hey, you have to do something with your life sometimes. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, it's going to be yep. fun. Yeah. As Chris just said, we're going to be going through uh, a weekly podcast where we're going to be covering Every movie in the uh, in the Bond franchise, including a couple of extra ones, uh, so you've got us at least for the next twenty seven weeks, and we'll you know we'll kind of uh, see what we're going to be doing after that. But uh, yeah, we uh, there's also an episode zero out there that kind of goes more into what this podcast, you know, why we decided to do it, our history with Bond, all that kind of fun stuff. So if you want to know that stuff, please listen. But we're just gonna, I think we're just gonna get right into this. Obviously, we're covering Doctor No this week because that is the that is the first James Bond film. I don't think it's the first. It's not the first one either one of us watched initially, though, right? Like, I don't think this wasn't your first Bond to see, was no, it? No, the first one I ever saw was uh, was uh, the it was in the Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Uh, uh, whatever it would have been uh, licensed. No, it wasn't licensed. It was Living Daylights was the first one that I saw. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then, and then, uh, yeah, then I picked up the others later. I, I didn't see all of them until like, what was it? 2007 or something like whenever, no, it was 2006. Cause that's when uh, Casino Royale came out. So I watched all of them before that. Oh, that's right. You did your, uh. You watched every single one of them up to Casino Royale, and then I get, and you've seen them all since, obviously. Yeah, and so. it took forever back. I mean, 2006 doesn't sound like <laughs> a long time ago, but you, you couldn't just pick something out and just stream it or no or you and and if you wanted to find I mean, you were still going to blockbuster and stuff like that i was living in new york at the time mm-hmm. and i went to about three different blockbusters plus uh another place in downtown uh manhattan to find uh all these bond movies uh back in the back in the day and uh, it took me forever but i finally did it so <laughs> mm-hmm. awesome awesome so uh what we're going to be doing uh moving forward uh, we're going to have a few different segments where and in the first one we're going to be talking just kind of about like uh, all the behind the scenes kind of what led up to Dr. No. So let's go ahead and get into that. This is a segment we like to call Eon Flux. This is a journey. I'm gonna make a movie! We have to go back, Kate. Wow. How did you know all that stuff? I did my research. I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? Into all this behind the scenes stuff, I do want to mention that I got some of my information from like Google searches, Wikipedia, all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the information I got is from this novel called Nobody Does It Better. The Complete, Uncensored, Unauthorized Oral History of James Bond. That is written by Mark A. Altman and Edward Gross. Uh, high recommend. It's a really, uh, really interesting, well-written book where there's a lot of snippets from different people involved with the Bond franchise. They tell their stories and all that kind of stuff. 
I don't know if you remember Mark A. Altman, Chris. He was, uh, I, I started reading him in college. He did this magazine called Sci-Fi Universe where, I don't know if you remember this, mm-hmm. but there was a cover that kind of became infamous. It was like 50 Reasons We Hate Return of the Jedi or something like that. Oh, no, I never, I don't remember that. No. Uh, that's like the first thing I think of when I think of him. But he also, he used to, he wrote um, uh, Star Trek episode reviews for uh, Cinefantastique and eventually uh, Sci-Fi Universe. So that's kind of how I started uh, hearing about him. And then he's been writing novels on various, I mean, uh, non like books on various, like Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, James Bond. I don't know. Pretty, pretty interesting, mm-hmm. fun guy to read. Edward Gross is really good, too. But um, yeah, for this segment, we are going to scour through the history of Eon Productions and give you all the highs and lows that went into the making of these films. I have a ton of stuff. I'm going to try to get through it as quickly as I possibly can because, you know, we need to be able to have some conversations. But uh, so I guess I, I guess we could start off with the fact that these the, the Bond films initially were based on novels. Uh, written by Ian Fleming, and we will talk more about the books uh, later on in the show, but I will just kind of give a little bit of rundown on Ian Fleming. Uh, In the early 30s, he was trying to be a journalist. Uh, At one point, he was working for Reuters, which is an international news agency. Uh, He was sent to cover... That's Reuters. Oh, yeah, Reuters. Sorry, I knew that. Um, (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, So he worked for Reuters in the early 30s to cover a trial of six British spies in Moscow. Uh, his coverage was well-regarded, and it caught the attention of the British Secret Service. So he was actually brought in to uh, give them reports on the conditions of the Russian capital. And uh, he thought about continuing journalism, but he also decided that he, well, he thought that maybe he wasn't going to make enough money. So he uh, went into stockbrokering for uh, the next 12 years or so. Uh, in the middle of that, though, he did serve some time in World War II. Uh, he was recruited by a rear admiral, John Godfrey. Uh, He was the director of intelligence of the Royal Navy, and uh, he got to be his assistant. And in this job, he actually spent time helping coordinate strategies of espionage. So he's got this kind of, even though he's not really a spy, he's kind of got this background, and he's got this knowledge, I guess, that he would definitely Mm -hmm. bring to uh, the Bond novels. Um, He did eventually get back into journalism. Uh, and he kept going back and forth on writing a novel. He also loved Jamaica, he discovered. So he had a, which this is probably pretty well known, but he had a, he had a beach house there called Goldeneye. I'm not sure if it's still there or not. I haven't, I have not looked hmm. that up. The name James Bond came from an ornithologist uh, who wrote a book that Fleming always used to have on his coffee tables uh, mm-hmm. wherever he lived. Spy fiction didn't start with uh, Fleming, obviously. Uh, there was, uh, specifically, there was a lot of British writers like Henry James... Uh, Joseph Conrad, people like that were writing stuff, but they were definitely more like more serious, I guess. Mm. Uh, Eric Ambler was another one that wrote a decent amount of spy stuff. Alfred Hitchcock adapted some of his stuff. And so there were spy movies being made as well at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but Bond was something different. I imagine the uh, whole idea of a spy was still relatively new, though, because mm-hmm. there were... The, the agencies that were being created around the world started, mm-hmm. I, and, and, and I'm not going to be a historian and be able to tell you the exact years or anything, but like, you know, they, they were recent because of the, I think because of World War One and 
uh, so they, so this, and and I think there was a, there's a there's a big silent movie that's that I think it's just called Spy maybe I'm mm-hmm. not even sure if that's if that or, or something like that uh, where it's like a sort of a brand new thing back in the 1920s yeah. to even have movies about spies so this is you're only talking about 20 something years oh here yeah, yeah yeah Fleming sure. starts writing yeah especially when he starts writing yeah and and the movies that kind of came before were, like I said, usually very serious. They were usually pretty, like, much... It was usually, like, Nazis were the villains or, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people were, like... And it, I don't know, James Bond is the first I know of that brought in, like, the locales, right? And the the women and the... You know, it's just, like, everything is just... It's sexier, <laughs> I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm. would be the way yeah. to put it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, and then... Um, there is one thing though I read where I, I've never watched The Saint. I've seen like the Val Kilmer movie, but mm-hmm. I've never read the original books. I've never seen the the nineteen thirties movies or even the Roger Moore series uh, that would eventually come out. But apparently, The Saint was kind of, was a lot of people think it was a precursor to, and that's very possible because Fleming was a huge. He loved reading thrillers. Uh, he mm-hmm. Fleming, if you didn't know, he came from a very he came from he was a he was a rich kid. He had a he had a wealthy family, and uh, I I read that like he kind of had to hide the fact that he was reading thrillers because I guess when you were in the uppity world like that, you were expected to read serious literature, which he also mm-hmm. read. But he would always have like you know these spy novels and thrillers and mysteries and stuff like that uh, off to the side that he was also reading. But the Saint, uh, there's even one of the novels and of the Saint series where a villain says something like, "I know you're expecting me to tell you a story or what I'm going to do before I kill you, but that's only done in bad thrillers." Which obviously mm. seems like in like Goldfinger, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. You know, there's a lot of the times there's kind of that self-awareness almost uh, mm-hmm. uh, with the villains, which eventually like Mike Myers and people like that would even more parody. Yeah. And also uh, as popular as the films were just to note, the novels were insanely popular. Uh, there was a time where reportedly 2 million James Bond novels were being sold a month. Hmm. So uh, when, wow. when people, when people read. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Now it's like if a book sells over a million copies, it's an, it's insane. Like uh, yeah, it's already a movie. Yeah, for sure, it almost has mm-hmm. to be for it to do that. Uh, so Fleming did sell the rights to his first novel, which was Casino Royale. He sold the rights mm-hmm. to that to CBS TV in 1954, and CBS produced a one-hour episode of an anthology series called Climax Mystery Theater. And they mm-hmm. did Casino Royale for one of the episodes. Yeah, and it <laughs> didn't do very well. Uh, it, no, not uh, at all. Not at all. I, I got to see the intro to that, and this guy's like, nice. uh, like, uh, like pulling cards out of a baccarat deck, basically. And that's <laughs> and they you know don't show anything else beyond that. But uh, but yeah, it it was it was a I think it was a one off or something like that. Yeah, it was. It was a it was an anthology series. I was looking at the show like they did like a lot of adaptations of other stories and stuff. I think like there was even I'm trying to remember what the one before the Casino Royale is because it was a pretty it was a pretty well known story. But regardless, yeah, that's it did go over well. Barry Nelson, who's an American, played Bond, which is mm. just weird to think about now. Uh, the yeah. only thing about it that sounded interesting was Peter Lorre played uh, Le Shreff. Is it Le Shreff? No. Is that how you say uh, it? Le, Le Chief. Le Chief. And I love Peter Lorre. He had apparently not done a whole lot of television up to that point. So I guess this was kind of the point in his career where he was starting to mess with television. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've never seen it. I, I think it's I think it's accessible. 
I think I read that. I think I. Yeah, you could probably even find this on YouTube. Yeah, but uh, from everything I've heard, um, I don't know that I would recommend it. We decided. I th- I thought about us trying to find that one, but I figured we would stick to uh, theatrical. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know if we would be able to do a whole episode on on that. Um, and then interestingly enough, uh, so after that, uh, movie producers started getting interested in the Bond in the Bond series. The first ones that he sold the he sold the he sold uh, or the first ones he was working with, they didn't really want to adapt any of the novels because they didn't think that the novels would work on the screen. They said there wasn't enough action, uh, so they actually wrote an original screenplay called Thunderball. Um, so that was the initially going to be the first uh, Bond film, and uh, that for various reasons ended up not happening. Uh, he went on to write the novel Thunderball, which he basically took from the script. Fleming didn't give anybody else any credit, though, which uh, we will definitely be talking about that more in the future. <laughs> I believe you're you're talking about yeah you're talking about the 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 fact that they made made it again with Never Say Never Again yeah, and all yeah, that and yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, there was uh, I mean I mean he started getting sued immediately at this point because everybody else involved was like whoa 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 you can't just you can't just write the screenplay into a novel and we don't get any credit you know mm-hmm. and then the ownership of that became an issue moving forward and so we'll mm-hmm. be talking about that definitely before this uh, this podcast this mm-hmm. in, in in several weeks away but we will be talking about that again um, they are also uh, somebody also adapted Goldfinger at the time. So that was another one that was being talked about. That novel had already been written. And uh, when they were doing Thunderball, though, uh, Hitchcock was reportedly going to, Alfred Hitchcock was reportedly going to direct it, mm-hmm. uh, which makes a lot of sense because the I think the Bond films, especially early on, like they 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 feel heavily influenced by North by Northwest. I mean, heavily mm-hmm. influenced. Uh, you know, you've got the locales. Uh, you've got the traveling, even though Cary Grant's not really a spy, it's still kind of that same idea that there's a spy that's traveling and he's in luxury wherever he goes and he's got nice mm-hmm. cars. Uh, you've obviously got the eccentric villain. Yeah. Uh, and you've got the, I mean, I guess you could say she's kind of a Bond girl. Uh, I mean, it's kind of that type of, you know, so you get a lot of those things as kind of what, what turns into uh, what a James Bond movie uh, ends up being. So, uh, Fleming got tired of the Hollywood, like I already said, he got tired of the Hollywood stuff after a while, went and actually wrote Thunderball, which got him into a lot of trouble, but that's for another day. But then all the other mar- novels were still out there on the market. So finally, uh, Harry Zaltzman, uh, a producer comes in and decides to purchase the novels that are available. They still try to make Thunderball the first movie, but they can't because of all this stuff that's tied up in court. And also from what I understand, and this is in the, uh, on the Blu-rays, uh, inside Dr. No, Mm -hmm. uh, thing, the, uh, Saltzman, uh, had the, had the rights to this and it cost him $50,000 over six months, uh, to, 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 to retain them. So he was basically looking for anything Mm -hmm. to try to get these things, uh, off the ground. And there was of course interest, uh, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, in fact, I, I had seen that there were like 28 days left, I think, on the option when they finally mm-hmm. were able to kind of get Dr. No rolling. Um, eventually, Saltzman would meet Cubby Broccoli. Uh, most people probably that know much about the Bonds behind scenes, they know the name Broccoli, which 
mm-hmm. eventually led to Eon Productions uh, being formed and 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 making all these uh, these Bond films in the main franchise. Um, but after they got Broccoli on, on board, they were able to secure a deal with United Artists. Uh, United Artists, I think, gave them like one point one million dollar budget, uh, which a lot of the other studios were wanting to do it for like four hundred thousand, and they're like, "There's yeah. no way." That was uh, that was something that we're talking about in that uh, behind the scenes is that Broccoli was always wanting to do a Bond film, and they mm-hmm. he just couldn't get the rights to it, um, and uh, and and he actually wanted to buy that option off of Harry Saltzman, and um, Saltzman mm-hmm. said, "Let's just partner up and 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 do these," and so. So yeah, and then they they uh, who's who's the guy David Picker I think mm-hmm. is the guy at United Artists that they that they take it to and uh, uh, they did a, they did a deal without even signing a contract because apparently like your voice your your uh, your word was bond with United Artists back then you didn't <laughs> even have to have a signed contract so anyway <sighs> yeah it's crazy it's just like. And even like one point one million dollars, like we can talk about that when we actually talk more about the movie itself. But like mm-hmm. this, which I guess, I mean, I don't know what that would be today. I I didn't look it up. I like, I think I saw in the trivia somewhere it was like uh, ten million, fifteen still million, not that much somewhere. Though, it's, right? it's not a lot. Yeah, it's not a lot at all. But I was gonna say this movie looks like it costs like thirty million dollars or something. But I if mean, you're trying to launch a franchise, you know, I think I understand that. Like, try to do it as cheaply mm-hmm. as possible. Oh, yeah. see if you can turn a profit and that's why ultimately and we'll get to that i'm sure or we get do it now no we do why dr no was chosen was because it only had one locale mm-hmm. and and uh they could shoot it cheaply uh there and they you know they made and we can get it we're gonna get more into this later but people were wearing their own costumes essentially their yeah. own wardrobe yeah. and stuff like that so anyway that's uh yeah um I, I can see why they did that because you don't know if you're going to have a huge hit right off the bat. And you don't want no. it to get, you don't want to, you know, uh, uh, shoot and miss basically when it comes to stuff like this. Because if you've been, if you really believe in a franchise, or you believe in this being a big franchise, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to swing and miss. So, no, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. And then also on top of that, Terrence Young ended up actually bringing it in under budget. I think they only ended up spending like, like 600,000. Uh, I was having a hard time figuring out if that like the budget just changed or if he actually brought it in under budget. But it looked like from what I could read, he actually brought it in under budget. I'm not uh, sure. There was a, I saw something that said it, it went over barely and uh, United Artists was was uh, upset about even having to pay $10,000 over the budget. But, they, <laughs> you know, obviously they, they got over that. It's hard. It's, I, I found it's it's not that hard to figure out box office, but some especially older films, it's really hard to figure out exactly what they spent because even today, I think it's impossible. Well, to and they didn't they didn't judge movies by their box office. No. It wasn't a big deal back then. No. Like, nobody like, oh, it made this amount of money, and look how special it is, or whatever. I think people just they knew it was special by how, how you talked about it and everything. So, yeah, for sure. I, uh, just a few other little things. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Dr. No debuted in the UK, October 5th, 1962. Uh, now mm-hmm. it wasn't in the U S until 63, but I, that 62 date seems to be the one everybody goes for. Plus it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a British franchise, you know, it's yeah. not, it's yeah. not an American franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a few, it was just like three weeks before the Cuban missile crisis, which was interesting. And, yeah. and especially when you consider some of the plot, like what Dr. No is trying to do, like mm-hmm. that's pretty fascinating. And it was yeah. the same day the Beatles released a love me do. 
It was their first <laughs> their first single. Wow. So you get so much Bond going and the on Beatles, all at once. Two yeah. maybe two of the most well-known British icons. Mm-hmm. Came out uh, on the same day. I, yeah. I bet there's I bet there's some people who consider that day a lucky day. I I would think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we should start yeah. celebrating it here. Uh, mm-hmm. Why not? Yep. Brit- mm-hmm. uh, Beatles Bond Day, October fifth. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's right. Um, I I thought also looking at just there, I don't have a lot on like once they started adapting Doctor No. I know there were like there were reportedly like five scripts written. I didn't get details on all of them, but I did find uh, this guy Wolf Mankiewicz. Right. Did you hear him? <laughs> he made. Well, he, I know that he would. I, I, go ahead. I, well, I know I one say, thing he about. He made Doctor No and a monkey. He decided that Doctor No oh, would be a he, monkey. He's the one who did that. Yeah. He. Yeah. I think uh, he's the one who removed his name ultimately from the screenplay. Yes, when, correct. He's not on. Yeah, he's yeah. not on the screenplay. No. Right. Uh, yeah. There's three other writers, but he's not one of them. Uh, but yeah, no. His his big his big claim was that he decided he was making it definitely more of a spoof, which I don't even know if that was a thing then. But I, I think guess, it was. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's definitely movies like that in the 60s. Yeah. But I just, um, I mean, it's kind of like, I kind of want to see that version in a weird way. But I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. But I'm also no glad kidding. they didn't do it. Right. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, and I will say about that script real quick. We'll make it with. So there, the main villain was actually a professor. So I wonder if that professor character that ends up getting killed by Bond I wonder if that character originally in the script was actually going to be the villain, and mm. then he was going to have a monkey that he called Doctor. No. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't it's know. just, it's wild. It's like it's like Kevin Smith writing Superman stories. That you're, it's mm-hmm. like John Peters was somehow involved in this. Uh, this yeah, is directed, I know it does sound very John Peters. It does. Yeah. It does. Like, mm-hmm. well, there's even a spider. It's not giant. Yeah. But there's a there's a spider. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, Terrence Young directed this. He also would direct a couple more Bond films. He does from Russia with Love and Thunderball. So we'll be talking about him more. Uh, he has a lot of credits, uh, but uh, I I hadn't seen too many. But he did direct Wait Until Dark, mm-hmm. um, and which uh, both of us I know are fans of. Yeah, uh, he directed this really interesting western with Charles Bronson and Toshiro, and I do not know how to say his last name. Is it Mifune? I Mifune? think it's Mifune. Mifune, Mifune I think, maybe. But- yeah. Uh, famous, you know, in samurai movies and, and, and all that stuff. And, uh, but, uh, that was in the seventies. It's called red sun. It's pretty, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. It's different. It's not great. Uh, his last film was in 1988 and I only bring this up. It's a movie called run for your life with David Carradine and Lauren Hutton. I just want, I just want to read this IMDb description. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is for the movie run for your life. This is Terrence Young's last film. Major Charles Forsyth Carradine is a Vietnam veteran U.S. Army officer stationed near Rome. He is a brutal, if effective, commander who is fragged by his own men in Vietnam. When he is denied promotion because of the number of men injured during his training exercises, he takes out his anger by beating his pregnant wife, Sarah, Lorne Hutton. Mm. She Mm. miscarries. On her release from the hospital, Sarah is determined to get back into shape and begins running. She meets Alan Morani, which is George Siegel, former Olympic runner who is a paraplegic as a result of a car accident. Morani offers to coach Sarah to run in the Rome Marathon, a race which her husband has won two years in a row. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sarah realizes that winning the race is the best way to avenge the death of her baby. Uh, yes, it is. And destroy her husband's ego. For sure. No I have doubt never about wanted it. to see a movie more. That's unbelievable. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Uh Terrence Young is uh is credited by a lot 
uh, of people mm-hmm. as the uh, the person who really uh, uh, gave that James Bond character. Yes. Uh, he and Sean Sean Connery uh, got along really well. Uh, Connery himself was they as they say he was he was he was like the it, they they had some uh, way of describing it. He was like the the he was the best of a of a terrible bunch basically like like nobody was really <laughs> jumping up and down about uh all the c- people that they were asking to do this but sean connery was the best out of that group or whatever anyway terrence young was like uh very responsible for how sean connery yeah. like does his does this james bond stuff his style his you know his uh his demeanor and uh, and so a lot of people give Terrence Young credit for that, and yeah, and, I, and it m- moved on into all the other bonds, you know, future yeah, bonds. And I think that's fair. I mean, I think we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks when we talk about Goldfinger. I think Goldfinger really kind of establishes like what the franchise would have would be for basically the at least up until the Craig films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say the Craig films still use a lot of that influence. But Doctor No, still, there's a lot of things that are right off the bat are 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 what we think of as as bond so mm-hmm. and you know so no, i i think young definitely uh, had a lot to do with that he now guy hamilton was offered the job first but he had a mm-hmm. some family issues or something and uh, couldn't do it so but he comes back obviously and yep. and directs some of these uh so that's cool and also terrence worked with uh, joanna hardwood who is credited as one of the three writers on the script to kind of get those multiple scripts and kind of make them uh, mm-hmm. uh, what what became uh, Doctor No? Before we get into the review, I just wanted to mention a couple casting things. I read you might have even seen some more people because I see a bunch of people pop up for Bond. Cary Grant was wanted for the film at one point. I think most yeah. people know that that know anything yeah. about Bond. Yeah, I've seen two different stories. On one, he turned it down, but then there was another one that said I think it was Albert Broccoli uh, said how oh, I could have gotten Cary Grant, but it would have only been for one movie. And yeah, that's what I looking. read. I read yeah. that that was a big thing. They wanted a multi contract, which also which also they they almost lost Connery because of that, because he had worked with maybe it was Albert Finney. It was somebody he had worked with that had that had signed a multi uh, contract with the studio and was miserable. And that mm-hmm. that was just kind of and I think that was kind of advice that that person gave Connery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he eventually did it. Uh, Patrick McGowan was another one I saw. Uh, yeah, Robert that Shaw. would have been interesting. Yeah, Robert Shaw, who ends I, up being a villain, I think, in the next or not? Yeah, a villain, yeah, but, he's one yeah, of the villains villain. in uh, From Russia with Love. Uh, yeah, David Niven, which I had heard that before. Uh, yeah, and that will and 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 he comes. He'll he'll come up later in 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 another in another episode. Uh, Harry Saltzman really wanted Connery. He was an unknown at the time, but uh, I just uh, Saltzman. Uh, this is the quote I found. Saltzman reportedly was asked if Connery was the best for the part, and he said he's the richest. Oh, you just said, is that what you just said? He's the richest man this in the poorhouse. Yeah, there you uh, go, richest man in the poorhouse. I didn't say that exact okay. those exact words. I couldn't come up. I couldn't figure remember what that what they actually yeah, said. Yeah, but that's but, what that's what Saltzman said about him, which I think is great. Yeah, and I, I think they even had. Uh, you may have been getting to this, but uh, Roger Moore was also yes. Uh, uh, being considered here, but he was doing the saint at the time. Mm-hmm. Was he doing the saint? Yeah. Uh, he was about to be doing the saint, but, uh, he was, yeah, he, but he was, was definitely, definitely considered. He was definitely in television and he couldn't get out of his contract much like later on. Uh, yeah, Pierce it's, it's interesting because we find that a lot with the people that eventually become bond with the exception of Craig. But like, I think Dalton was, 
either Dalton yeah. or Moore were being and were were both. Well, how old is Dalton? With Dalton, because I was thinking Dalton had something to do with Honor Majesty's Secret Service, but I haven't I haven't done inter, I haven't done. I think Dalton on that was one. approached for Honor Majesty's Secret I think that's Service. That's right. That was. I mean, of course, that big huge. You know, I mean, that was a big huge try to get a replacement for Connery. So I think everybody yeah. who was previously uh, considered uh, and then probably in the 80s, got asked. You know, when Moore leaves. Brosnan gets hired and then has to, you know, then they have to let him go because of Remington still. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and Timothy Dalton comes back and is now bond. Yeah. And then of course, Brosnan eventually uh, mm-hmm. becomes bond as well. It's just interesting how all those kind of fall into place. Uh, yeah. Honey Ryder, uh, Ursula Andrus plays her in the movie. Uh, Julie Christie was considered, but was not yeah. considered voluptuous enough, is what right. I read. Didn't, yeah, <laughs> did not have big enough breasts, yeah. apparently. Yeah. And you know, yeah. that's the one thing that you're going to run into in the 1960s, and uh, and and even in the, I, I think the the making of stuff came out in 1999. So they're still kind of just like you know, this is the way things are, and so on and so forth. But. Yeah, uh, she didn't have big enough breasts, basically. And so they hire Ursula Andress apparently two weeks before they mm-hmm. even start shooting the movie. It was something like because, that, yeah. Because they see a picture of mm-hmm. her taken by her husband, who's an actor. Uh, John Derrick. The actress? John Derrick. Uh, who, she's in a black, like, silk thing or something, and, mm-hmm. and her shirt is wet. So that's sort of like, oh, we'll just hire her based and, on this picture. And basically. supposedly she was at a party. They were at a party and she was talking about it. And Kirk Douglas told her she had to do it. That's mm-hmm. what I That's what I read. Said it's really easy, breezy stuff that yeah. you're going to be doing. So uh, Christopher Lee was considered for Dr. No, which yep. I'd heard that before. Uh, he mm-hmm. eventually uh, becomes a Bond villain. He's, he's uh, cousins with Ian Fleming, I think. Is something I think that's better. right. Yeah, Some, something to that. Something, effect, something like yeah. that. They have a really, yeah. Uh, there are also reports that Max von Sydow was offered the role and he turned it down. Ma- I think it's Max von Sydow. Yes. Is yeah, I'm he... so bad at this. Max von Sydow, <laughs> yes. Yeah, who does also end up being a villain mm-hmm. later on. Yeah, yep. it's crazy. Like all these people, <laughs> except for Julie Christie, I don't think she ends up in one. But uh, No, no. Uh, but then Jack Lord was uh, always the choice for Felix Leiter. He was, uh, he was an up-and-coming guy at the time. Uh, he ended up not be- repeating the role because uh, he was offered to come back in Goldfinger. He wanted more money. Mm-hmm. They said no, so they hired somebody else, and then he went on to do, like, 12 seasons or whatever of Hawaii yeah. Five-0. And- <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it worked out pretty good. Pretty good for him. Yeah. And just real quick, Lois Maxwell plays Money Penny. This is her first of 14 appearances. She's going to be with mm. us for a while. Uh, yeah. Bernard Lee has, it's his first of 10 appearances as Elm. Mm hmm. Uh, Eunice Grayson plays uh, a character at the beginning of the film who I really like. And she pops back yeah. up in From Russia with Love. But she was supposed to be, she was signed on for six movies. She was supposed to be like the really? recurring girlfriend character that he always leaves. It was supposed to be like a bit. Mm-hmm. And was uh, it, uh, Is it Sophie French is her character name? What is her character name in this? She plays Sylvia Trench. Sylvia Trench, not Sophie yeah. French. Okay, so, um, so yeah, um, that was another interesting thing too, because Lois Maxwell was considered for that role, mm-hmm. and uh, they the I can't remember which producer, and again we're talking about the '60s here. Yeah, uh, said that uh, Lois that this the that Eunice Grayson smells of sex while <laughs> you smell of soap is basically what she was she was wow. told. Wow, 
Uh, so, so, so Eunice Grayson was given the, that, the, the, uh, that role and, uh, Lois Maxwell went on to do 14 Bond movies as Money Penny. Yeah. I think, I think she won because, uh, like I said, the Eunice Grayson was supposed to be back for like at least six movies. And I guess she was just always going to be in the opening and then she, you know, she'd wander Mm -hmm. off or whatever. He'd go on a mission. But uh, I think it was Guy Hamilton that directed Goldfinger, and he just chose not to do it. He was like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she doesn't appear after the first two films. And then uh, the character of Major Boothroyd was played by Peter Burton, and he was supposed to be the head of Q Branch. I don't remember if they actually say Q Branch in the movie, but I could be wrong. They probably I don't do. remember. It. Okay. Because in the novel, either. he's called the, like the head armorer. Is yeah, what he's called I, and novel. I believe he's called the head armorer in this too. It's from the armory department or something. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't remember hearing Q, but maybe they said it. But he couldn't be in the next film because he had something else going on. So Desmond Llewellyn, uh, you know, will will pop up in the next one in in his first of several. Mm-hmm. The only other couple things I thought were interesting, uh, Doctor No created like kind of a new way to edit films. Like a lot of the stuff that we're just take for granted now. Um, where somebody like it's like let's say at the top of the stairs and then the next shot they're at their car uh, mm-hmm. most movies at that time you would see that whole descent down the stairs oh wow interesting and dr no was kind of one of the first to really start using those kind of cuts to where we don't have to see everything we can just place them and you can figure out how they got there. yeah uh supposedly David Lean was editing Lawrence of Arabia right next door to them editing from Russia with Love. And he would actually come in there and uh, and watch them edit. And supposedly at one point said something along the lines of, can we switch movies? Which is interesting. Mm. I don't yeah, know. That is interesting. <laughs> uh, so Dr. No, just a box office. It was released in the UK October 5th, 1962. In the US, it was on May 8th, 1963. Finished seventh at the US box office. Uh, in 63, mm-hmm. it made about 16 million, which is, that's a really nice profit yeah. off of like a yeah. $600,000 or whatever it was film. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's interesting though, that year, I always still find this interesting because I know Cleopatra was over budget big time, but Cleopatra mm-hmm. was the number one movie that year. It made 57 million, but I guess it was still not enough. Yeah, to, uh, I don't know how much that movie yeah. cost, but yeah, fifty-seven probably wasn't enough to pay for it. But the uh, the editing, uh, one thing that I saw about the editing on Doctor No was just that uh, it, the other thing that he and I can't remember that guy's name, the editor. He's featured pretty prominently in the uh, Inside Doctor No thing, but um, but uh, you know there was the idea that you can't cut on action. Like if somebody is mm-hmm. in the middle of an action, you can't cut in the middle of that and and he said no that's nonsense we're gonna do it we're gonna we can cut during the action and everything because i guess they were worried about continuity and stuff like that but um uh, he 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 felt like there was no reason why you would you know bother uh waiting for everybody to come to a standstill or whatever (laughs) before you cutting to the next thing so um you know, so that was uh, yeah. I I think I think the the whole thing was so you could see you would see the punch and the whole punch and then yeah. they cut. You know, yeah. instead of like like in the middle of it, swing someone swinging their arm, they cut. So anyway, and and for all I know, for all I know, this is the beginning of terrible editing uh, in action <laughs> movies. Uh, but uh, but uh, he he I mean, he did something new with that though. I mean, and I love these first few Bond movies, but like. I, I just I, I'm having a hard time believing. I mean, maybe David Lean did say that, but I'm just like Lawrence of Arabia is a, a much better edited film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not, yeah. There's nothing uh, wrong. 
but uh well and it could be just somebody being nice and saying oh, yeah 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 for you sure. know oh you or know maybe I, he was I, referring I more to these people he could have done like a fun spy movie or so maybe that's more what he was referring to as opposed to like he, yeah after doing something like lawrence of arabia yeah. he probably definitely wanted to do something <laughs> like that so uh it had mixed reviews at the time of its release time magazine referred to it as a big hairy marshmallow Okay. Uh, Stanley hey, Kaufman. I guess you had to been there. I guess in those. the 60s to know what that means. Stanley Kaufman, who wrote for the New Republic, said that the tone was all over the place and said at times it played it straight and at times it played it like a spy sweep. I don't completely disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, audiences loved it. Uh, and I and I really do think, and we can talk about this more here in the next segment, but I really do think this kind of. I, I If Jaws ushered in blockbusters, I think this kind of. I, this would be kind of like a precursor to that, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. I I, I, yep. I just feel like this is different than anything that was being made at that time. Mm-hmm. Especially when you look at the movies that I mean, I mean stuff like like Son of Flubber and you know, and like in the <laughs> top ten, like Tom Jones and you know How the West Was Won. It's a mad, mad, mad world. I mean, Doctor No is just so different than anything else mm-hmm. released, and it feels more like, a, you know, like a studio tentpole or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even though that probably wasn't a thought at the time. I would also say too, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into all these different yeah. uh, aspects, but we talked about Terrence Young being so responsible for what, what Bond ended up being, Sean Connery obviously being able to execute that. Um, but Ken Adam, uh, the production designer, is uh, another huge part of Bond, especially Bond villains. Oh, if you yeah. ever think about the sets that uh, any of these Bond villains are in, it's all Ken Adam, who, uh, after Dr. No, Kubrick came to him and, and uh, asked him to do the sets for Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Um, and uh, the locales, the studio things that they did at Pinewood for these, uh, you know, these secret layers and everything. Ken Adam really added a lot to what we think of as Bond movies uh, back Absolutely. then. And, and so, like, this this has some some ones that the sets are not like, like you know, wow, look at mm-hmm. that. Not yet. I mean, in the 60s, I'm sure it was. Like, now we've seen a million of these, and, mm-hmm. I, and that's no fault of Ken Adam, but everybody's, like, replicated a lot of these sets since then. But especially in the scene where the uh, – the professor guy goes to the boat and he's waiting in that room and there's that yeah. big oval yeah. looking thing and there's the grate and, and, and it looks so amazing. It looks so completely out of, you it know, does. Th- this is where you're in a different world, you know? And we kind of go, they kind of, I, I, as far as, I, I, I mean, I guess Goldfinger kind of has a layer. You don't really get like a layer in From Russia with Love, but they do, they do get back into them eventually. And like you said, it's, it's very, mm-hmm. it's, even more grandiose than than what's been yeah, done here. Absolutely, but, but I think that's uh, we can we can go into uh, talking about the movie. So we will go ahead yep. and go into our next section, which is called a review to a kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. In this segment, we're just going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week. And of course, as we've already said, we are discussing uh, 1962, 63, however you want to say it. Uh, Dr. No. Chris. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what are just like, what are your... Uh, do you remember like when you first saw this movie? No, it would have been even... in 2006 uh, oh, okay. when okay. I saw it so because this was the first, yeah, 
Like, I, well, I mean, but just because uh, that was when I started everything from mm-hmm. the beginning, and I had not seen Doctor No before this. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, Bond movies uh, at the time probably weren't like high on my list yeah. of things that I had to go watch. And I, I, and I was still stuck in, you know, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan land mm-hmm. at that point. And, and, uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't go back and watch a lot of those older ones. So, um, but, uh, going through this one, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to see, I think Bond is more of a, an investigator in this one than he uh, is maybe in, in future ones. And I'm going to have to, you know, when I rewatch these other ones, I'll, I'll, I'll see, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but it looks like he's actually doing a, a real investigation here. Like he's not getting some weird, like, you know, lucky break that gets him to the next uh, place. He, he actually goes and finds locals in Jamaica and they're like, Oh, this person might know what you're doing. And then you go to that person and they Mm -hmm. tell you some information and so on and so forth. Uh, so he, he feels like he's actually doing real investigation type stuff in there. And I kind of, I kind of appreciated that. Um, uh, but this is such a, I don't know, this is such a simple story and I don't know if I really buy into all this stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. the, the, what Dr. No is doing is something that I think was a real, um, potential threat, like back in the sixties, like that was something that people actually worried about. Yeah. So what, can you explain that? Like what, I I don't know that I know exactly. He's interfering with missile launches. Yeah. And I think he's testing it on rockets that are getting shot in Cape Canaveral. He's not doing it on missiles, but that's what they're fearing that he'll do. Okay. later on he'll be able to track missiles that are mm-hmm. shot and then direct them wherever he wants to uh he's using some sort of bath reactor thing that's like uh that's a it's a nuclear whatever for a while there i was like what does the re- why does he need a nuclear reactor to shoot a radio yeah. wave to uh this or whatever but i guess that's supposed to mean that it's super powerful i guess yeah. i don't know if that's what really you know it, it, it's a point where there's a point where uh bond and and uh and you know um god what's her name honey uh, rider honey rider uh get into the swamp and and uh, they have to wash off the radiation there's so much radiation yeah. in the swamp so it's like god man is this even necessary but anyway they, that's the thing he's shooting these radio waves to try to topple rockets and and uh that's a big concern uh you know uh, the united states has been trying to figure out what he's up to they can't detect it for some reason that's the reason why they uh bond goes through all this stuff and finally finds that uh that island that he's on but um uh so so yeah i feel like the the villain is kind of weak and his uh his uh the whole the whole plot of what he's doing is kind of weak but I like how Bond gets to where he's going and everything. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff in here. And then I can't get around a lot of this. I can't get around a lot of those early 60s fights, too, even though yeah. the stunt, coordinate, stunt coordinator's given a lot of credit for like being, you know, you know, down and dirty and heavy hitting and blah, blah, blah. And there's some some decent things in there. But, man, there's so many times you can see punches being pulled and oh, yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. No, so you're definitely. just kind of... 
you just kind of like you know the the fighting is like whatever this is a 1960s movie we're not expecting like realism but um but uh yeah all in all i think dr no is is okay you know it's yeah, okay that's that's kind of where i fall i honestly don't i i feel like i probably saw this when i was younger because i remember like the sunday night movie i think it was abc or, and maybe even there was like a Friday and Saturday night movie, but I just remember they would show Bond films. But I feel I remember them showing like Goldfinger and like Thunderball. I don't really remember Doctor No. I'm sure it was mm-hmm. shown, but I know. I mean, I've seen it at least a handful of times. Uh, it's it's not one that I go to frequently. Like it's like if I'm just gonna pop in a Bond movie, there mm-hmm. might even be ones that are worse than this that I would pop in just because maybe I just have more fun with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of we're looking at it from an analytical point of view. Cause I've never talked about this on a podcast or anything. I, I did. I feel like I enjoyed it a little more this time than I have in the past, mm-hmm. but there is something about it. It's, it's like, it takes a while. It's not super long. It's a little, it's like an hour, yeah, 40, like an hour and 45. Yeah. Uh, but it takes a while to get to Dr. No. And he's just, it's cause I think, Look, it's problematic as hell that it's Joseph <laughs> Wiseman. Although, I mean, the yeah, character is supposed American to be mixed, actor. but still. Yeah, he's supposed to be Chinese slash German. Yes, but still, um, it's not. But it's, it even in and even in the uh, behind the scenes on this, they don't say problematic. They say <laughs> bothersome. I think. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know. If, and 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 I was like, he has to use bothersome makeup to make himself look Asian. They do that with uh, one of the women in this. Yeah, too. it's the the spy for them or whatever. That's the yeah, the, and, the secretary. And they, and it's since it's 1999. I don't know whether or not they're saying bothersome as in as in oh that's oh that's the documentary racist. is 99 yeah okay. i don't know if they're saying whoa that's racist or if they're yeah. saying whoa that was uncomfortable to wear yeah. you well, know that time of thing wait wait till we get to you only live twice i mean my yeah God. no kidding um, no kidding uh but yeah but but at the same time he's good like he's he's very sinister and creepy i mean i mean i i feel like there's a really interesting villain there we just don't get to spend enough time with him i like that scene at the table like i like how that scene unfolds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually some tension there because you don't exactly know like what's going to happen, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think the the little bit at the end where he has the guys start punching Bond and stuff, I don't really get that part. But yeah. everything leading up to that, like I think you have a lot of tropes in there of, um, of um, just people... I don't know, just a lot of the tropes that we're going to find in these like megalomaniacal villains and all that kind of stuff. I, and I mm-hmm. like the idea too that like he's he says something at one point because Bond even says, "Why didn't you go use your services for good?" Like you know, like the UN or whoever could use somebody like you. And then he says, "I tried, and nobody, everybody thought I was crazy. So now they're all going to pay for it, basically." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also Spectre is mentioned, uh, which yep. becomes obviously uh, a, a, a thing. Which uh, uh, was not apparently uh, a part of Doctor No as of as of then. No, because because Fleming uh, introduces Spectre later on in the books. Well, they created Spectre for the Thunderball script, and then mm-hmm. so when Mc, when when he wrote the Thunderball novel based off the script, that's when Spectre comes into it. Actually, and and neither one of these organizations are mentioned in the Doctor No novel, but in the first few novels, there's an organization called Smirsh. S M E R S H. I'm I'm glad they changed that to Spectre. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, 
but but yeah, but no, I'm with you. I I think it's I think it's good. I think it's in that upper half of Bond films, but I think it's at the lower end of that. Like, I guess if you have like a great tier, it would be mm-hmm. like on the good tier, like the solid tier. Like, it's definitely, uh, it's better than a lot of Bond films. We're going to be talking about. Oh yeah, there's several. a lot of really bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> bad, yeah. bad movies. It's that, that's why I find this franchise so fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. for, uh, for so many reasons, but just the fact that it's been able to survive. Uh, as long as it has yeah i thought i thought uh we do uh like we were talking about we get a lot of the uh, like some of the things that will be continuous throughout these obviously we have the characters of money penny i was actually impressed i'm actually surprised at how quickly like i don't know if it's because i've seen all the films but i feel like it's established really well that the 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 relationship between him money penny and elm like mm-hmm. from him walking in, throwing the hat on the, yep. it's just, it's such a casual thing. The way he talks with money penny, which I guess, I mean, maybe I'm not the person to talk about that because I'm just some dude, but I, I always felt like the stuff between the two of them was, it was kind of like, I mean, she was giving it to him too, you know, like mm-hmm. they were, I don't know. It was just kind of interesting. I, I do feel like some of the movies play it up though, more where he's teasing her with her emotions well, or it's, whatever. Yeah, it's but. kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing. Like he, he, he mentions it in this, in this one, that it's yeah. a professional reason why he doesn't go after her. Yeah, like, he does. you know, he, he says it in a jokingly joking yeah. manner, but you get the sense that he actually does respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that part of it so they're they're free to flirt and everything and they and m knows it because there's a point where he walks out yeah. and he goes money penny <laughs> could you dispense with the the normal way that you talk to bond and let him go because he needs to leave you know also it's um, three in the morning i don't think i've ever caught that before because when he goes in the yeah. office m says it's 3 a.m do you ever sleep and i'm like do you ever sleep like it's right. three. like you're at the office mm-hmm. i thought that yeah. was really weird but um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I like all that stuff. And then you have like Elm uh, giving him shit about his gun and making him take another gun. And uh, yeah, that was another interesting thing too. Yeah. That he he likes using his Beretta, but they want to give him the Walther PPK. And like uh, they're referring to his Beretta jamming, which apparently in the books was whatever was before Doctor No is what they're referring to. Um, which is and, oddly uh, enough from Russia with Love. Yeah, from Russia to Love. Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's what they're talking about there. Which is, I always find that interesting when something from a book makes it into a movie, and there's no real reference point. Yeah. Like, I guess, I guess you don't need to have that reference. You don't need to know yeah. that that's from Russia with Love, where that happened. But uh, it's interesting that it ends up in there because they are referring to a previous, an actual previous adventure that Ian Fleming wrote. Yeah, and I think. I don't know if this is true, but, and I know they weren't thinking franchises like we, like, like studios think about them today, but I do wonder if like, they just felt like they needed to introduce those three characters because the armor guy was supposed to be in the next movie. So mm-hmm. I do kind of wonder if that's more what that scene was about. Just like giving some relationships between these characters, uh, like him and the armor are going to fight with each other every time. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Elm's the strict boss, but you know, I don't know. That's just kind of how I felt. Cause you don't see any of them again. Like none of them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, none of them pop up again because he is, he's in Jamaica for the rest of the movie. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, uh, when, when, uh, and then what else was I going to say? Um, there's just some, some, some little things. I like quarrel. Um, 
uh, John yeah. Kitzmiller is the actor mm-hmm. that plays him. I I hate I hate the way his dialogue is because it feels like even in 1962 they would have cut that shit out. Like it kind of felt like a 1930s or 40s like black yeah. character, <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, Captain and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I I read that uh, he died like just a few years after this uh, this movie was released. Uh, something to do oh, with wow. alcohol abuse. Uh, alcohol. I mean, it had something to do with alcohol. It was alcohol related. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He's also the first black actor to win a Best Actor award at Cannes. Hmm. Uh, although I couldn't find the movie for some reason, but I, huh. I just found that fact out. He was also a World War II veteran. And, and, you know, that's something that you're going to, you know, that's something also, I mean, we talked about the makeup where people were made Asian and stuff, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like nearly almost anybody who has any kind of color mm-hmm. is, is treated in a weird yeah. manner, oh, yeah. um, in this way, like they, I, you know, there's, there's, there's not the utmost of respect, uh, every time. And there's, I mean, there's kind of no reason for quarrel to get it, to be this, like, um, uh, I, I never understood why they actually thought that was a freaking dragon. Uh, oh, maybe in the, yeah, it makes you no know, sense. like there, like it's this metal thing that <laughs> has nothing to do. It does it definitely doesn't look like a dragon at all. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's so no dumb. reason for him to be standing in front of it as flames come out and he just gets consumed by it. It's almost like they, they had to make a sacrifice of one of their minority characters in this oh thing. You know, it's, yeah, it's there's just, so many different weird, I mean, it's not, it's, it's something that I can't quite put my finger on, but like no, every right. single one of these characters, like, like is, is sent into the movie to sort of, you got to be distrustful of them or they die or mm-hmm. like, just, they're not given the best things to say. You know, there's uh, uh it's, it's uh, maybe not, in I don't know I don't know how intentional that is but yeah and uh, I'll, and I'll uh, the next segment we'll talk about the book so I'll talk a little bit more about the coral character in the book because there is there is there's one pretty distinct difference as in uh, that has to do with his relationship with Bond that makes him way more interesting in the book and makes his death a lot it hits a lot harder uh, mm-hmm. you're right the way they do it in the movie like you're basically like you're right James Bond is like the the white man that's got to come teach them that dragons don't exist like they don't <laughs> fucking know <laughs> I mean that's, I, it's just that's it's a, not one played of the big well things. and those little yeah. things like that I think is what kind of takes this down a notch for me I think there's there's plenty of things well, to enjoy that, but then it's like god this, this is just so from dumb. a technical just from a technical standpoint too uh the the fact that he's apparently seen this dragon but he doesn't he said throughout the whole movie i'm not going anywhere near that place (laughs) like like my friends went there and they never came back so i'm never going there so how has he ever seen this you know has he ever seen the dragon yeah i know and then i uh, guess i mean felix was supposed to go with him at one point too and then he ends up just not going i mean it's just everything mm -hmm. about it i don't know yeah uh i have one thing i thought did you hear this? Yeah. Story? Why isn't Felix oh, going? Why isn't Felix going on? That? I know it doesn't That's, make any sense. Basically, they don't should even, be Felix. And I was actually because he says like Quarles at the boat with them, and and Bond's like, "We're going to this island. You know, can you come with us?" He's like, "Hell no." And then he's like, "Well, Felix and I are going either way, so you got to tell us how to get there." And then he says something about, "I can't give you directions. Directions are my nose, or something like that." Yeah. And he's like, I'll be back at seven. And then I don't remember anything else being mentioned about Felix. Doesn't so, seem to be any reason why he decides yeah. to go there. So uh, did you read any did you see anything about this when Ursula Andrus, when they were shooting the, the the famous scene of Ursula Andrus coming out of the water, which mm-hmm. they actually redo kind of with Halle Berry uh right. years later in a much worse Bond film. 
Um, yep. There apparently was like four guys were like coming towards the, sh- like around the beach and young mm-hmm. started yelling at them. Like you guys got to get down. We're trying to shoot something here. And then they kind of forgot about them. And then like, supposedly like a couple hours later, like what's going on? What happened to those guys? And so they walk over there and they're still like in the, they're just sitting down like, cause they haven't been <laughs> told they can get up. And it's freaking, it's Ian Fleming and Noel <laughs> Coward is there. Oh, wow. Wow. And then a couple people I, I didn't know, but apparently there's a famous poet named Stephen Spender and a critic named uh, Peter Cornell. But uh, I just thought that okay. was funny. Uh, yeah, that yeah that was a uh, that was another thing uh, about the Ursula Andress thing. I, and <laughs> you know, you sit there and you and and these actors talk about all this stuff with good humor, and maybe they didn't, maybe they weren't affected by it. But like she said that. Um, the one of the things that she, she had to do for her character was because she's a native of Jamaica, they had to tan her skin down and everything. Mm-hmm. So like, so like she went in for makeup and this makeup guy's like, all right, uh, take off your clothes and we'll yeah. do all this or whatever. So, so he's doing the makeup and apparently there's just people constantly knocking on the door, <laughs> like dropping things off yeah, of for course. this guy. And and she's like sitting there with all in good humor, but I'm sitting there like going, you gotta, you have to have felt gross about this, oh, hell uh, yeah. saying like, well here I am, I I'm naked, and and you know people are just walking in, and it's like I think after the because they were dropping off breakfast or something, so it's like at the end of the whole makeup thing, she said there was like 20 breakfasts there for them to eat. Yeah, my God, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, poor Ursula Anders. She does a pretty decent job. I mean, she's. I mean, she's not like a great actress by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And apparently, they had a hard time, uh, just uh, with her voice, like just mm-hmm. getting her to like the way she said things. They they had to work on that a lot. Uh, but I mean, you hired her from a picture. Oh yeah, they dub they over to, a lot of it. Yeah, they had to dub over. Yeah, that's true. Uh, which they do. That's pretty common in a lot of these early Bond films, which I find interesting. Mm-hmm. That happens in Goldfinger, yep. which and it's mm-hmm. weird because you'll see these actors in other situations and they sound fine. So it's like well, that's the thing. Like Ursula Andress sounds exactly like she does in the movie, yeah. even though it's like thirty years away or whatever. But uh, but I guess like it, it was just enough where they yeah. couldn't understand certain things. So they get somebody who sounds like that person, but yeah. enunciates a little bit more, and that's how they get yeah. Yeah, and I and I feel like I don't know. Dubby was just used a lot in the 60s like you have those crazy like like the italian films like especially like the giallos and stuff where they would just hire actors of different nationalities and then just have Mm -hmm. the actors speak their native language and then they Mm -hmm. would just dub over them so you've got like a french guy and an italian guy speaking they don't understand each other and they're trying to act a scene out i mean it's crazy (laughs) yeah but also, like I said, Ursula Andress, I mean, she was hired off a picture, not not from a tape or anything or whatever they were, mm-hmm. not a, from a, you know, a screen test. So I, yep. I don't know. I mean, at that point, I don't think they had any right to complain. And she's fine. I mean, it, and she does have like probably one of the most, I, I read where some people were calling that the, like the best entrance of a character in a movie. I don't know if I'd go that far, but maybe, maybe female, maybe, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. it's I think cool. that's something that it feels like to me. It's like something that's been built up in people's minds yeah. since the '60s. Like, like, like that right there is super iconic. But that was like iconic for people who grew up during the '60s, and then they then it became legend after a while. And yeah, yeah. when you see it, it's like, yeah, that's that's a famous scene. But I've I've never like like we've all seen pretty pretty girls in bikinis at this point. Like if that's you're true. 
if you're of a certain age, it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, I've seen that quite well, a bit. Maybe in the 60s, they had not seen that kind of thing, you know. And speaking or, of Bo know. Derek, isn't her, I haven't seen 10 in forever, but her introduction is kind of something like that, which is funny because we're talking about so. Don Derek, where she's running on yeah. the beach, maybe. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And then, of course, Halle Berry and Die Another Day. I would even compare mm-hmm. it to, like, Cameron Diaz and The Mask, even though that's not a they're not on a beach or anything. But it's just, I right. don't know, it's that kind of, like, uh, attractive woman, you know. Mm-hmm. Co- I don't know. It's just the way it was shot and everything. No, I, I agree with you. It, it doesn't hold mm-hmm. the same with me as I, I can see, like, in 1962, be like, whoa, what's that about, you know? But mm-hmm. right. a couple just funny things <laughs> before we move on. Uh the guys diving off the platforms, like, <laughs> when do you know what I'm talking about? You mean at the end? <laughs> it just cracks yeah. me up. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why I find it so funny, but it's like, it's like, it's, they're so professional about it. Like, they're like, mm-hmm. they're like getting yeah. in perfect diving form while the buildings oh, are yeah. exploding behind them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's the scene I hadn't, I don't think I've ever noticed it until this time, or maybe I have and just hadn't thought about it, but, uh, the 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 half Chinese lady or whatever we were talking about the secretary of the of the mm-hmm. guy that he's uh, Rydell is it Rydell what is that guy's name Plydell Smith uh, mm-hmm. is like the ambassador or whatever that Connery has to get with uh, in Jamaica his secretary ends up being a spy for Doctor No and there's a mm-hmm. scene where she's trying to keep Connery at her place for a couple hours and she has like this towel around her neck. And as she's walking away, he pulls the towel off her neck and then he puts it up to his mouth. And I swear to God, he opens his mouth or something like it's like he's like <laughs> licking it or <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really weird. I'd never noticed it before. <laughs> just... Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't doubt it considering what we see with the the Connery bonds uh, throughout this whole thing, because there's so many of those kind of things. I really yeah, it's I will say this right off the bat. I, I think I think if you had asked me twenty years ago who my favorite bond was, I would have said Connery. I wouldn't even thought about it. I don't think mm. I have a favorite bond now. Like I I, mm. I feel like they all have their movies that I like and dislike, but like mm-hmm. for the most part, they've always casted the character pretty well. Like I mean, we'll talk about Lazenby, uh, but he wasn't given much of a chance anyways. He only did all well, he was, but he chose not to do anymore. But mm. uh but I do like Connery in this one because I think what we find like when we get to like his last couple, and I'm not talking about Never Say Never again, I'm talking about of the Eon Productions. Mm-hmm. He seems really like he doesn't want to be there. Like he's not mm-hmm. even like trying at that point. At least in this one, like he's giving a performance. And mm-hmm. I think is I think in the in the first few where he's doing that, maybe you could argue he's the best Bond. But man, those last couple, which we'll talk about. Uh, it gets pretty rough. Uh, the mm-hmm. movies aren't as good, first off, but he's not... It's it's crazy to watch him in Dr. No and then watch him in Diamonds Are Forever. It's like two completely mm-hmm. different performances. Yep. Uh, what do you think of Connery as Bond, or in this one at least? Um... Yeah, I I think again is it's another one of those things where he's the one who established the standard, yeah. right? So, uh, people who grew up first watching Bond, he was always going to be the one. And then when Roger Moore came, he obviously seemed like uh, a really steep downgrade from Connery because Moore was more of the funny Bond, right? Like he was more well, of yeah, the and goofy. I th- um Moore's not the actor Connery is either I don't think like I know I mean they're both like they both have that movie star quality to them but like I 
and I like I like more as Bond, but I know what you're saying. Like I think Connery's just a better actor. Have, we didn't have anybody even come close to rivaling what Connery did for a really long no, time. No, not until like, Craig, right? Like nobody, Timothy Dalton, and then and then and then uh, I mean Brosnan had the gold, had Goldeneye, and I think everybody was like excited to see more Brosnans after mm-hmm. Goldeneye, but like. But like you know, I think the movies themselves shortchanged Pierce Brosnan more than anything. Plus, time probably too, since oh, it could yeah. have been earlier uh, in there. But there wasn't anybody. There wasn't anybody who. Yeah, there wasn't anybody who could compare to him until Craig really. Um, and and so yeah, I'm fine. I I, I I've never held Connery in this high pedestal yeah. uh, of of. He has to be by default because he is the guy who yeah. basically started all of this. And I know that's heresy for a lot of people, but like, because <laughs> everybody in, in the world like who, who grew up watching Bond thinks of Connery as the, as the main guy. And how can you not, honestly? Uh, it's just that I've never been like, I've never been that high on him. Yeah, like, yeah like, I guess oh, that's what I'm so saying. he's so great. Yeah, and, uh, but he's... I think you have to give him his due because of how much he infused into the, what the character uh, became and what it, how other people would approach it uh, years later. You have to give him that legendary status because he is the one who, mm-hmm. who originated it and, and is the one who, you know, uh, came up with that character as, as a, uh, as the template so uh but there are moments in a lot and all all of these conneries that you're like you know he's 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 fun he's debonair but he's also man he's a he's a prick so many other times too and in, in these things he is and, he's uh, he's um he's very he's brutal like he's um he's very he's very cold like he doesn't mm-hmm. have like i mean that's the thing i and I and I, I will I do want to go back though I don't want to I don't I didn't mean to when I said nobody at that quality until Craig because it should be mentioned Timothy Dalton is like a classically trained actor like Timothy Dalton is definitely uh, mm-hmm. but a, he was an I mean I think actor. he was let down by the the fact that the those movies came out in the eighties and they were trying to make diehards <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know. If we had gotten a couple more, well, that's what a lot of people have a problem with License to Kill. I heard somebody say recently that it's like it's like if Joel Silver made a Bond film because like they were trying to compete. Uh, which mm-hmm. I keep mentioning stuff we're gonna have to spend an hour talking about later. I need to stop yeah. doing that. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I, 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 he's very cold. Like he's very cold and calculated. Like he doesn't have a lot of like he doesn't have a lot of emotion. Uh, about anything and then you get roger moore who is like you said it's it's a lot it's a lot and it's not just because of him it's because of the time period the way the movies were being made but it's a lot more about special effects and he's he's more fun i guess mm-hmm. and roger moore is perfect for that like connery could not do spy who loved me you know like mm-hmm. i don't think sean connery does I, I don't think sean connery in that movie works like roger moore in well, that and- movie works so that's why i have a hard time saying this is my favorite Bond, but I do agree with you. By default, it almost has to be Connery, or maybe Craig. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, and this is this is a hallmark of a lot of Bonds. Yeah, but, you know, and this is nothing to do with Connery himself, but there's a lot of unearned confidence and and like uh, and and uh, like. Uh, there's a lot of things that are unearned in these movies where you know he 
he everybody knows who he is i mean that's what's that's one yeah. of the things that i hate about yeah. uh him being a spy is that he is a famous quote-unquote spy so people know his face and all this and yeah, it's like, crazy and and he goes into these places and gives people cards to where he's staying and he'll use and, his and name it, sometimes and and it's like it's all okay because he knows they're coming and he knows that he can beat them in a mm -hmm. fist fight essentially and he's always like you know he's he's doing the whole thing where he puts the hair across the mm -hmm. the door frame and all that stuff it's like well as long as i know they're coming <laughs> it's totally okay that they know that i'm here um and, and which you know leads to those really insane moments where it's like you know uh, Dr. No wants to kill Bond, but you know, the guy's solution for that is instead of just running in and shooting the guy or waiting for him or doing something yeah. special, he's like, I'll put in a deadly spider and see if that spider bites him over the overnight. <laughs> you know, it's, but, but it, throughout the next few bonds, we're going to see he's like, people just know where he is and, and, uh, and he's just really super confident that they're not going to kill him. So, there's a you know whatever it, it doesn't have much to do with connery himself i know that's the topic here uh no but i know what you're you know, saying Con connery is of course uh very high up there on the bond list i i don't know if i have a favorite either yeah. i think everybody like just like you i have my favorite of each uh iteration of each different bond and and uh you know everybody has their has their best one I guess, except for Dalton, maybe. I don't know. I, I think there's probably people that have Dalton as their favorite. I've definitely seen people put that like on social media. I don't know. I mean, I've even I've even seen people say Lazenby, but I don't know how that's... I don't know. That's just somebody... I mean, the like, movie's I'm fine. I don't know about him. Huh? Yeah. The yeah. movie's good that he's in. I don't know about him, but... Yeah, uh, it, it's been a little bit since I've seen that movie. I'm looking forward to it. Um, But yeah, no, that's one thing interesting about Bond is a lot of people have, I think, their favorites, or at least... I think a lot of the times it also goes to who you grew up with, like who was, mm -hmm. which for both of us, I think Dalton was kind of our first, but I had seen at least a couple of the Roger Moores before then. I had seen a couple of Conneries. Mm -hmm. So I was aware at least, but I, but Dalton was the first like theatrical experience I ever got. And, and that's one mm -hmm. thing about the Bond films. I think that's neat and so different than just about any franchise is that we're going into, I think the sixth decade. And yep. all the films have been released theatrically. Like, and they're always like big events. Like they held no time to die for those two years where they, I mean, and streaming services were offering tons of money. I mean, they could have mm -hmm. made so much more money than they made by releasing it in theaters. Mm -hmm. But the Broccoli's have always been, you know, no, these are, these are theatrical films. These are events. And uh, that's, that's just, it's crazy that after all these years that, that they're still releasing, they still, and some of these movies we're going to talk about. It's amazing that the series continued, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Oh yeah, or it didn't go in a different direction, didn't become like a TV show. Now that Amazon mm -hmm. owns it, I have no idea what's going to happen. Supposedly, they said that they're not, they're going to still go with the Broccoli's wishes. They're not going to do TV shows and stuff. But I don't know that I believe that. I, I think within a few years, that's going to be a whole different thing. But we'll see. Um, yeah. Did you? Uh, if you don't have anything else really to say, I guess we could go into our our our, our ratings, our rankings. Um, okay. Let me just throw this right quick. So we're gonna we've got five categories that we're gonna kind of rate these movies in. Uh, we're gonna use instead of just doing like stars or whatever because that's boring. Uh, we're gonna go with something that's you know near and dear to to Bond's heart as long as it's shaken and not stirred. So we're gonna go with martinis. So mm. one to five martinis is the system. 
five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, and one being that well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to mm-hmm. care about that mm-hmm. night. So our mm-hmm. first category, Chris, will be just, you know, the story. Like, what What would you, one out of five martinis, what would you give the story? Yeah, there's the good elements and there's elements that I, yeah. I don't really like. And I think a lot of this has to do with the... Uh, you know their budget and what they were able to do and whatever so i would put it in very middle of the road uh, a three whatever we're gonna call whatever liquor we'd call the three (laughs) i i should i should have like i should have like given each one of different vodka like one would Mm -hmm. be like country club right Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. i I don't know my vodkas very well i might have to maybe three is like a tito's uh, Tito sounds like a three. Like that might work. Tito's maybe. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but uh, yeah, if 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 the basic, you know, I know that we're trying to have a fun rating here with martinis and stuff like that, but it would be whatever's in the middle of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and, for sure. The, the three because it's yeah, it's 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 got a good setup. It doesn't have a lot of the best elements. We might so. we might be the same on these this time. I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, the bond. I, I I was three out of five as well for all the reasons you gave. The bond. Mm-hmm. I'm going five out of five because oh, yeah. I think yeah. Connery's I think he's really good in this. Um this mm-hmm. isn't his best Bond film, but it might be one of his better performances as the character. It, I feel like he, mm-hmm. he I mean and probably because of Terrence Young. I feel like he kind of nails it, you know. I mean that Bond mm-hmm. James Bond, I mean that's that that to me is an epic like opening uh to a character. Absolutely. I yeah, mean, there's just something about it. There's something about that. Now that you show me is something special, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally agree. Just the way he moves in that yeah. scene, and the way he he's looking in that scene, and and the way uh, he's like uh, talking to uh, uh, Eunice Grayson, uh, you know, mm-hmm. across the table, and the way they're playfully flirting, and you know, yeah. all that stuff. I, I had a really hard time buying though that she just showed up in his room, but whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which apparently uh, that character was supposed to show up completely naked, but uh, you know, it was 1962. Oh, so that's interesting. That. Yeah. They could treat women horribly back in 1962, but they, but they couldn't show them naked. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the um, uh, I, I'm I. I hesitate in giving a perfect rating for him. I'm going to go four that's out good. of five on this one. Uh, uh, I think just in general being the standard is going to give you a high rating yeah. and, and you would have to have a hard time getting any lower than that at that point. Uh, uh, I just think Connery's still trying to work. There's still some things that he can do to be, to be better. And I, I think that's you know, what we're going to see. I, I have changed my mind. I, I actually, cause I'm thinking ahead and cause that, the problem is we're not doing halves and I don't want to do halves because I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to do that. That's too much like to get into, mm-hmm. but, um, I think this probably would be more like a four and a half. So I'm actually mm. going to give it a four because I was starting to think about like from Russia with love and especially Goldfinger, which will, you know, so mm-hmm. no, I, I'm with you. I'm going to change mine to a four. Um, All right. I do think also it would be fun. I, I and I, I mean, I am kind of saying this for everybody, I guess, but I, I, I would like us to kind of like, I think it'll be fun to rank these once we're done with each bond, just kind of, you know, our preference. Mm-hmm. And then maybe at the end we can kind of come up with like a, a universal ranking between the two of us. We'll have some, yeah, that'll be some fun fighting that. and stuff. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The villain slash henchman, because sometimes there's henchmen involved too. There's not really in this one. He's got some like, I guess, soldiers and he's got a yeah. dragon, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so just, it's pretty much just Dr. No that we're talking about. 
yeah there are yeah there are some henchmen uh you know you have the photographer and you have the um the secretary yeah. and you have you know they're yeah they're all like they're just they're 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 very easily spotted and very easily yes. taken out of the picture essentially there's not so an they're odd not, job like there's not that we haven't gotten to that yet no so dr no himself i'm gonna give him a two um and and i I mean i actually wouldn't be bothered by making it one but because of (laughs) what the choices are they made in this movie but but i'm gonna give him a two i think to establish what a bond villain is like uh that is that that is well established Mm -hmm. with this that's as far as i'm willing to go with it though there's nothing particularly memorable about dr no uh the villain and what he's trying to do in fact i sat there trying to figure out what this was that he was doing oh, you're as an audience all you're supposed to know is hey he's toppling rockets that's evil so you just you know okay so he's trying to topple rockets whatever uh it just seems like it seems less important and less vital than anything else anybody other any other villains do this mm-hmm. seems like someone who's just trolling uh, the united states basically by like you know messing with their rockets mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't really have and it has has bigger world implications than is shown i think they may have realized that later on they're like oh we need to make this where he's actually these villains are actually doing stuff that yeah. m- does something in the real world uh, and this doesn't. This is just rockets that are getting shot into space. I know it's maybe just a test, but God, yeah. Uh, there's not much to what he's doing. No, there's and really not. To establish Spectre is, is is a big thing, but not a very memorable villain. Even though he is the in the title of this movie. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would. Yeah, I'm going to also. I I might be a little closer to like two and a half, but. I like Wiseman, uh, even though he probably shouldn't be playing the part. But I like mm-hmm. I think he does a fine job with what he's given. Uh there are moments, but there's just he's just not in it enough. Like there's just not and you don't necessarily I mean, Anthony Hopkins is in like sixteen minutes of Silence of the Lamb. So I mean, you don't necessarily have to be in a ton of the movie to be memorable, but mm-hmm. uh with what little he's given, he's he's not that interesting. The last yeah. couple are gonna be a little different with this one because we're still early on in this franchise, but the next one would be the gadget and the gizmos. I just gave that a one because there yeah, really isn't any. So anything in this one. I the mean, only like thing guns. he's given in this is the gun and that's not special. Yeah. So And we're not really gonna get to those for a couple a couple of movies. I don't think there's any, mm-hmm. maybe there's something in from Russia with love, but it's, I don't remember. And then I also definitely, this is going to become more topical moving forward, but the bond song, which the, then when I say bond song, I'm talking about the theme song at the, during the opening credits, this one doesn't have a theme song during the opening credits. It's just got, it's just got music, but it does end on under the mango, underneath the mango tree, underneath the mango tree and it also has that is i don't know if that three blind mice is part of that or what but they have that that's because kind of the, the three yeah the three villains who are wearing the sunglasses yeah. i don't know if they're actually blind or not but they they're the ones who kill strangways yeah at they're the not beginning. No, they're pretending to be blind beggars yeah so yeah. um so yeah they uh they have that three blind mice and then underneath the mango tree which is played uh, several times yes. in the movie yes um uh is uh is a you know a a is the is the big song going on yeah. in that and that's not a and it kind of sticks with you but it's not 
I don't know. It's yeah, and only because they sing it so yeah. many times. But so, I mean, the, uh, of course, the actual theme itself uh, that was great. You know, um, that that's a lot. That's a that's got its own uh, backstory, of course, yeah. because the guy. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, rah, rah, rah. Um, uh, Monty Norman, who was the guy who did who, who did the score for this movie, had a song that he did for a play based off of a book. Yeah. Um, and it was what is it called? I don't um, remember the name. The ha- a house for Mr. Beast was. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was it had some of the foundation of that Bond theme, and then John Barry came in and rearranged a lot of things and made it the bombastic or not i don't know bombastic is the right word but the the uh, uh extremely memorable score that we know today as the bond theme and everything there's been several court cases about this mm-hmm. by the way uh, uh john barry claims he's the sole mm-hmm. author of it and monty norman said no i i started it and you finished it basically is what it came God, down it's to. like the so easy it's it's crazy how many of those you hear about. Like, I mean, that happens a lot with people not taking, you know, I getting the credit they deserve at the time or thinking they should get credit later. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th right now, uh, that, that, that's that been going through a bunch of different things because you've got Sean Cunningham and uh, all of a sudden the, the guy who helped him write the first script escapes me. But yeah, but they're both fighting on who owns what and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, so I just gave that a one, but I mean the song's yeah. fine, but it's just it's not it's not what we're no, gonna get. It's, right. Yeah, this is not something that puts you in a in a you know, a bond mood <laughs> like all the other ones. I I have a feeling we're also though the the songs are gonna be fun to talk about because I think you and I have very different opinions on what, what's a good one and what's not. Because I remember us talking about some when we were when we were sending those bond films mm-hmm. uh before before uh another uh, oh time. yeah and oh. it will be interesting talking about yeah. those uh all of a sudden the, the name of the last film a uh, no place no time to die that escaped mm-hmm. me all right so that's so we've, we've reviewed it uh and now we're gonna do the final segment which is called the spy who reads me reading is one of my very favorite things to do oh i'm not reading that crap summarize it in one word now you want to talk about reading let's talk about reading how can you read this there's no pictures and this, and also known as the segment where Jonathan takes over and says <laughs> no, does everything no. because I'm probably not going to be reading oh, much of these you're gonna books. Ha- you're going to have things to say though. Uh, no, I just okay. like, no. I, I'm definitely I'm not asking Chris to read these books. I, I definitely feel like, uh, but I wanted to. That's always something I wanted to do, anyways. And I think it'll just give us a little more perspective on everything. Uh, it. I will say this segment's probably going to change a little bit though when we get a little farther down the road because some of the later stuff is not necessarily ba- at least not based on one book and. Yeah, they're just based stuff. on a, or or they're either based on like a what short story yeah. or the stuff that's mentioned in yeah, a book. Yeah, some like, of it they just, and then some of these they just use the title. So, uh, but mm-hmm, we'll get into yeah. that. This one is a little different, but anyways, yeah, this segment's called "The Spy Who Reads Me." Uh, Cinema Sins might have taught you that the book doesn't matter, but for this segment, we're willing to concede it at least kind of does. Uh, we're going to give you the mm-hmm. nitty gritty on what is similar to what you saw on the screen, what is different, and there will be plenty of what the hell was Ian Fleming smoking when he wrote this. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this book, I, I feel it was weird reading cause I've heard that I, I've, I actually read where some people said they, they didn't feel this was a close adaptation. It, I mean, most of the scenes and the set pieces and stuff that are in the movie are in the book. So it, I felt like mm. it was pretty, there's even, and there's definitely dialogue. Uh, I, 
you know, like when Honey Ryder tells that story about uh, the guy that she killed with the with the Black Widow and all that stuff, like all that's mm-hmm. almost word for word um, mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, I would I will say though, just to start off, uh, this was the sixth book in the series that Ian mm-hmm. Fleming wrote. There's 13 novels and there's a couple of uh, short story, uh, 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 short story, you know, collections. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's bond books are still being written today, by the way, obviously Fleming's not alive, but uh, there's still people that have taken up the mantle and have written their own bond books and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have not read any uh, after Fleming. So I don't, I can't speak to the quality of them. I don't believe any of the movies have taken anything from them. I might find out that's not true down the road, but as far as I know now, that's not the case. But uh, mm-hmm. I will say one thing about the book uh, as, as, as troublesome as the movie is uh, and, <laughs> and this was written in the sixties, but uh, it's very, it's hard it was in the fifties, right? Fifty city. Sorry. Yeah. Or, this was or, 1958. I, I, well, I, yeah, because he does start writing. He still continues to write them in the sixties. I was oh, yeah. I wasn't sure if Doctor No had had made yeah, it no, into sorry. the sixties. No, it was it was nineteen fifty eight. I forgot to say that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, derogatory comments about Chinese people and the Jamaican culture. Uh, there's mm-hmm. this whole thing where he talks about Jamaicans. Like I mean, he, I mean, this is this is like Bond thinking, or somebody's telling Bond this that. Mm-hmm. The Jamaicans as a culture are lazy and oh, there's wow. a lot of money to be made on the island, but they don't care enough to try to make it. So white men came in and created like all the uh, like the the industries and wow. used them <laughs> as workers. But they get to have a you know, they get to go home at the end of the day, have sex with their wife or whatever, have a drink, have a smoke. So they're happy. <laughs> it's just like, it's kind of just, okay. Yeah. Very casual. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's not, I don't know. It, it It's not really kindly, uh, kindly uh, regarded mm. with them. There's also a lot of, uh, half Chinese, half Jamaicans, uh, in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a name for them. Fleming does that. I'm not going to repeat. Uh, but yeah. but I'm sure you could look that up, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you could think how to mix words and uh, what you could come yeah. up with there. Uh, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, the Honey Rider character is really interesting. Um, she is basically the same, except she has a. Well, I will say she's basically the same. It's funny you mentioned that the the Eunice Grayson, which that that stuff's not in the book, like him at the casino and all that. That's not in the, this book. Because this mm-hmm. is a sixth book, so this is this is actually continuing off of From Russia with Love. So at the beginning mm-hmm. of this, uh, at the end of From Russia with Bond, I think he's poisoned, something like that. But anyways, he's had to be in medical care for months. And this is like he's just coming back. He goes to the office. They decide to send him to Jamaica because they don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. What's going on in this one is that they learn about this guy on this island. It goes by Dr. No. There's a discovery that there's these like rare birds on the island. And so mm-hmm. a couple people from the, uh, did you call it Audubon? Is that how you pronounce it? Like people that study birds and stuff. It's like the Audubon Society. Oh, Auto. Uh, it's A U D O B O N. But, um, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, yeah. But they go and, um, they like, I can't remember if they get found dead or if they just mysteriously disappear. But then they find out, they get reports back, all the birds are disappearing. So then they keep sending more people out there. And uh, and they, like the plane mysteriously crashes one time. A couple other people go missing. So they don't know what's going on. So they decide to get Secret Service in, or the British intelligence involved. So Strangways, which is the character at the beginning of Dr. No, 
that gets mm-hmm. killed by the three blind uh, people pretending to be blind, which is exactly how it happens uh, in the book. Um, he is uh, the British intelligence officer stationed in Jamaica. And then when he goes missing along with his secretary, which they think that they've just run off together, which they kind of imply that in the movie too. So they just mm-hmm. think they're sending Bond to find out what happened. It won't be that big of a deal. And, you know, so there'll be a good, like, relaxing. But then once Bond gets there, people try to kill him. Uh, he finds mm-hmm. some poisoning in his fruit that's delivered to his room. He That girl takes his picture at the airport like she does at the movie. So he knows people are looking for him. So he starts getting really suspicious. But he doesn't, he thinks Elm is mad at him. So he doesn't want to send information to Elm until he's sure. So that's when he decides to go to the island. Bond and Quarrel in the book are old friends. Uh, okay. They've worked together in the past. Bond is also really close to Strangways, uh, which I think they kind of mentioned that in the book that they're friends, in the movie they're friends, but they're a lot closer. He he mentions they have a pretty heavy past together uh, in the book. So him and Quarrel are really tight. So uh, like I said, Quarrel's death is the same. And there mm-hmm. is all that stupid shit about they believe there's a dragon and Bond's like, no, there's right. not a dragon. You guys are idiots. Uh, mm-hmm. but Quarrel dies, but, but it's, it's definitely a lot, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot more, it hits you harder, I guess, when Quarrel dies, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's that relationship. Plus you get the inner thoughts of Bond in the book. Bond's, Bond's a little different in this. He seems to be a little more compassionate than he is in the movie. He definitely is always thinking about like, like he feels really bad that he dragged Honey Ryder into this because she was just finding shells. And because mm-hmm. he came on the island, now they're trying to get her to before they would leave her alone, which is kind of mentioned in the movie. But yep. at the same time, so Honey Rider has, she's the exact same, but you mentioned how that one character was supposed to be naked. Well, she's naked the first time he sees her. She's just got that knife mm-hmm. and that belt around her, but everything else she's mm-hmm. naked. Um, mm-hmm. But she has a broken nose, um, which they talk about a fuck ton in this book. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, she, you find out she's, her story's about the same, but the guy that raped her, the guy that she killed with the Black Widow, he broke her nose, and she couldn't get mm-hmm. it completely repaired because she didn't have the money. So her thing is she's going mm-hmm. and collecting these shells. She's selling them in the, to the States, and she's eventually going to have enough money to go to the States, get her nose fixed, and then she's going to become a call girl, is what she thinks, uh, okay. for five years, and then she'll have enough money to come back to Jamaica and buy a house. Uh, that's what she's... Okay. Is, yeah. But the nose All thing right. is interesting because she keeps complaining about it. She's like, oh, you would totally have sex with me if it wasn't for my broken nose and all this kind of stuff. And then Bond always has these thoughts like, you know, he talk, he thinks like, no, it, it, her nose her nose doesn't matter. Like, noses don't matter. She's got beautiful eyes and beautiful breasts, so I still like her. Okay. Yeah, it's, All right. And the, mm-hmm. mo- the book also kind of like, and even though the book's 100, like, it's like 195 pages, 192 pages, it could easily be like 30 pages less because there's like 30 pages of him just trying to make himself think it's okay to have sex with her because she's in the book she's only like 20 years old <laughs> i don't know oh, how, wow. how old he's supposed to be but it's it's i don't mm. know it's kind of gross like just to be mm. <laughs> just to be uh, yeah uh, uh so so you get a lot of that um a tarantula does come to play later in the book but the scene in the bed in the hotel, it's actually a, um, it's a, it's a centipede. It's like a, oh, it's okay. like a poisonous centipede, which I never read why they changed that in the movie, but I wonder if they just thought people wouldn't know what a centipede was maybe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that scene in the book is awesome. Like it's, it's probably oh, yeah? the best scene in the book. It's written really well. It's really suspenseful. 
like he's aware that the centipede's on him, but he's trying to figure out like how to, you know, and it's just, it's really, it's, it's very suspenseful. Uh, it's very well done. I, we already mentioned there's no specter in the book. We already mentioned the inner dialogue. Um, he also, speaking of him, uh, think feeling bad for honey, but even though he feels bad, he's still like super like shitty in his thoughts about her. Mm-hmm. At one point he, he refers to her as that poor little bitch. Uh, <laughs> And it's supposed to be like this sympathetic. We're supposed to be sympathizing with Bond in this scene. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just man, the '60s were wild. Uh, yeah, man. And then uh, Doctor No, there's a couple things at the end, and then we'll be done. But Doctor No is pretty crazy. Like, like he's similar in the movie and like his ambition. But I will say the rocket thing is like actually something he mentions that he wants to do in the future. Like he's already testing, mm. but what he's made his money on at this point is there's a there's there's a lot of guano on the island like bird feces mm. and he's mm-hmm. doing things with that like uh to to make money like he's i, I don't know it's just it's it's like a, it's it's like a guano industry um yeah. so that's kind of what dr knows doing he's also described he's done like all these crazy like surgical alterations to his body he's made himself mm-hmm. taller by extending his spine he's supposed to be like almost seven feet tall he's bald <laughs> for some reason i think he has a fake eye that he gave himself and um mm-hmm. he's he's got the claws uh he still has the claws and which i think it's yeah which you know <laughs> That reminds me, you know, the one thing that we didn't talk about in the movie is that he's got these hands based because because of the radiation or yeah. whatever he had to, and for any, I I guess we get to see one demonstration of what his hands yeah. can do. Where he crushes, and it's, and it's basically worthless yeah. because that's the last time we see him do <laughs> exactly. anything with them. And then he's not so, able to climb up because of them. That's how he dies. Yeah. That, oh, by the way, that death right. is terrible. In the book, the way he dies. <laughs> Is Connery pretends to be a worker like he does in uh but but this is a different type of scene because they're not testing the rocket, they're 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 dealing with packet like doing whatever they're doing with the guano. And Connery gets on this machine, he knocks out the driver, gets on the machine, and dumps like twenty pounds of guano onto Dr. Oh no. Oh my god. And that's how yeah. he dies. <laughs> Which is crazy, but it's still better than the death in in, in the movie. My my other favorite thing in the book that doesn't happen is when, so Connery gets, well, also Dr. No, by the way, Dr. No is really into torture. Like he's, re- he's like mm-hmm. jigsaw or something, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, he, he likes to run tests on people that he captures on the Island. And so he, he decides to tie honey up outside to the ground because all these crabs are migrating and he wants to mm-hmm. see how long she survives with the crabs eating her. Uh, she ends up knowing more about crabs than Helm, so she ends up getting out of that situation. And uh, that's not a weird one. I said she knows more about crabs, but well, actual yeah, crabs. And that's, <laughs> and that's another thing in the movie. Yeah. They wanted to do that, but uh, they sent these crabs yeah. out, frozen crabs out to uh, Jamaica. And when they opened them up, most of them had died and mm-hmm. were were motionless. And so they ended up just making some weird, like, I, who who knows yeah, what really kind of water it. torture thing that she was just lying down yeah. on a ramp with water in it and we're like okay i guess that was torture i don't know but anyway i don't even know how they would have um, filmed that crab scene though i mean i hate that all those crabs died but yeah i don't, I don't know how they would i don't think i don't know if that would have looked good at all but uh but that's what happens probably in the book, but she survives just like and of course mm-hmm. bond survives but he gets a shit beat out of him like he uh <laughs> 
he's trying to escape and there's that whole thing where he's the water's coming at him but like he spends a lot of time in water there's like these aquariums which you do kind of mm-hmm. see the aquariums in the movie but like he's stuck in them and he keeps going from like aquarium to aquarium or he's behind like this fencing and then there's a fucking giant squid that shows up mm-hmm. like he's got dr <laughs> no has a giant squid i don't know if you knew anything about this no yeah so connery like gets like like he's behind this fencing but the squid is still able to like get its like sucker one of its suckers on him and like mm. just like tears up his stomach like it's kind of like i don't know how he survives honestly but then like he pokes it with a knife or something and it shoots a bunch of black ink at him and then it moves away uh mm. it's not very exciting and it's just really bizarre and i it's just like fleming was like i really want bond to fight a squid so that's what we're gonna do yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes the <laughs> story demands that you have a squid in it at some point yeah so. so and i'm not surprised they didn't do that i mean that that would have been terrible if they had done that in mm-hmm. 1962 but uh it did make me think though because i hadn't watched dr no in a while and i was wondering if sharks were involved in this one but i guess that i guess that comes later too but uh so yeah, a lot, other than that, I was just going to say a lot of the scenes, uh, the 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 scene where Bond gets chastised about his gun, he actually and he actually does end up taking that gun with him and stuff. That's in there. Uh, all the stuff with the photographers about the same. Uh, Honey on the beach, all that stuff's about the same. The dragon, like I already said, is mentioned. So mm-hmm. there, there it, it's uh, as far as I mean, we're this is the first one we're talking about, but um, and I've heard from Russia with love is is a pretty strict is a pretty close adaptation. And from what I remember, I think it is, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's just uh that's so I hope, I hope, hope everybody, I hope that's interesting and not boring to listen to, but I just thought, I don't know. It's interesting to me to, I, I, I find adaptations interesting in like how they're, how they're done, um, mm-hmm. especially in the bond franchise, because I just, I don't know how much they cared about actually adapting these novels more than, I think back in this day, they they really did care about trying to keep the books, yeah. uh, trying to because because they because the whole idea was people who read the book were going to come yeah. to see the movie and they expected that. And then I don't know where it started to become more of a, you know, you know they started changing things mm-hmm. out of out of books uh, where it was like, well, we have license to do whatever we want to because we got the name of the of the book, so we can change things if we, so. You know, because this culminates in, like, what, Rosemary's Baby is considered one of the, the most... Rosemary's Baby, like, as far as... I, faithful adaptations. As far as what I've read and then seen the movie, I don't think there's... I mean, Rosemary's Baby, like, you, it just... Like, you're reading the screenplay, it feels like, mm-hmm. when you're reading that book. I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy. I mean, and I think that was a Polanski thing. I think Polanski, like, didn't want to veer from it at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that was a thing for a while, because I remember reading an interview with William Goldman, and he was talking about writing Absolute Power... Uh, the Clint Eastwood movie. And he was saying Mm -hmm. that he could not like, he couldn't adapt the book because there was just, there were so many characters and the one Eastwood wanted to play wasn't even like one of the main characters. And so he was Mm -hmm. really conflicted. And then one of his writer friends was like, well, just, you don't have to like do it exactly. Just do it the way you want to do it. You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was like, Oh, I guess I can do that. And then, you know, so I I think even up into the nineties, like that was kind of a thing, you know? And then now Mm -hmm. they're pretty closely followed but now it's like you would do them in order like you would never do like the six harry potter book before you did the first one like they would never do that now yeah um i don't think well i guess that's not completely true like jack reacher i mean that, yeah but. who know i mean they may have some other way yeah. of 
telling the story in some way but yeah that um but yeah um um that no i i find it interesting to to hear about uh what's the difference between the the movies and the books because there's going to be a point where we're going to start seeing some wild variations i'm sure so uh to see that they're going so closely to it is pretty cool yeah my understanding is um moonraker is really just the title because they just wanted something that sounded spacey but the the book mm-hmm. is and i've heard the books like amazing <laughs> and like oh, and really? they use parts of the book in other other movies so mm-hmm. uh that'll be that'll be interesting when i get to that one to kind of kind of kind of see what's going on but all that's coming in the future uh thank you for joining us this week we hope you will join us again next week when we will talk about from russia with love and if you would like to get in touch with us you can reach us a few different ways you can email us at gold diamond death 007 at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter at gold spy 007 And if you really like the podcast, we would appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use. Uh, Until then, keep the martinis dried, shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission. And for some reason, I was thinking this morning, I was like, wait, do we, for some reason, I was thinking you'd put gun in that, but it was gold. It wasn't gun. And I was like, wait, Mm -hmm. do we want to say gun right now? Because actually, uh, probably not. I actually, on my, on my outro that I wrote, uh, one of the things I said was, uh, keep your Walter, Walter PKs loaded. But then I was like, no, I'm going to change that. So I made Mm -hmm. it keep your Baccarat shoes moving. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought about the Bond song this morning. I was like, oh yeah, we've got to talk about the Bond song. So it's just there's not one in this one. I don't know if there's one in From Russia with Love. I mean, unless you want to talk about that under the whatever moon song. Well, I thought we'd mention that. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, let me actually look that up real quick. It's the Three Blind Mice and... Uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, the Under the Whatever Tree. What is it? Mango Tree? Mango Tree, yeah. Well, this one thing says Coupland, but that's not necessarily her name. But I'll, we'll go with that. I don't think. Yeah, that's fine. I can do. Uh, we can do. Uh, if we're mispronouncing, apologies. That kind of. Yeah, thing. not a big deal. Yeah, not at all. I don't know that. I don't know that Diana Coupland's going to be listening. So. Yeah. Well, there are no interviews that I can see on YouTube. Just a couple of things that show up. Yeah, I don't even know what she did after that. I mean, she was dude's wife, so. I don't know if that's why. I mean, clearly she could sing. Well, she has yeah. a Wikipedia page. Mm. She's a British actress. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found like some YouTube somebody uploaded oh. some BBC episode of something. Yeah, she looks familiar. I don't think I've seen any of this stuff. This maybe I just think she looks like somebody else. Underneath the mango tree. All right, all right, all right, all right. You ready? Yep. All right, let's do this.